welcome to Rush the Field, the all-college football show right here on 610 Sports Radio. My host, your host, Jay Binkley, with Julio Sanchez, producing the operation really into the meat and potatoes now of the college football season. We've had two weeks now of the college football rankings. Get to those in just a second. Usual cast of characters joins us tonight. John Kurtz, uh, sports director at K-Man in Manhattan, talking Kansas State. Gary Pinkle, talking Missouri. We'll even bring up the NCAA and uh, in the in the uh, bowl band for the University of Missouri and see where Gary Pinkle goes on that. Josh Klingler comes in and talks KU football with us at the end of the show. For Kansas State, the magic of beating Oklahoma at home, then putting a pounding on Kansas on the road, came to an end to Texas. It's an interesting game between K-State and Texas. Kansas State falls in that game. 27 to 24 as Texas had a long drive uh, to beat Kansas State with a field goal by Cameron Dicker. The kick is up and the kick is good. Dicker, the kicker, walks it off again for the Longhorns. They beat the Kansas State Wildcats at the gun. The final, Texas 27, Kansas State 24. How about that from the Longhorns Radio Network? Dicker, the kicker. Imagine that Kansas State falls, but they are bowl eligible still. They got bowl eligible when they beat the University of Kansas. Skylar Thompson, by the way, career high in passing uh, in this game, 253 yards. He had 217 uh, before half, basically one yard shy of his career high of 218. He had 217 with 124 left in the first half on that one. The Longhorns give up 253 yards passing. Skylar Thompson sets that uh, career high. As a matter of fact, Skylar Thompson. Red hot for the Wildcats in this one. First quarter, 143 yards, including a 70-yard completion on his first pass. Second quarter, 74 yards passing. Third quarter, 14. Fourth quarter, 22. So the Kansas State was shut down the first half. They gained 253 yards, held a 14-7 lead at halftime, but they got only 58 yards and fell behind while the Longhorns ended up piling up 315 yards. Not scoring for Kansas State on back-to-back drives inside Texas, 40 Really, really hurt the Kansas State Wildcats. They have West Virginia, 3-6 and six Mountaineers. This weekend, coming to Manhattan, Kansas. So, Kansas State, this, this is not a very good West Virginia team. Look for Kansas State to put number 7 win on the board here. 2.30, you can hear that game right here on 610 Sports Radio. One new thing that Kansas State is doing is they're getting rid of the power cat for one week on the field. It's got cats at midfield. It's got cats in the end zone. It's got cats on the helmet. It's uh, not a controversy here, but in Manhattan, Kansas, people are talking about the Wildcat logo going away and having cats. I like this because the Power Cat's coming back. It's not going anywhere. This is just Kansas State thinking outside the box for recruiting. Here's Skylar Thompson, the quarterback of Kansas State, talking about the new helmets, the alternative uniforms Kansas State will wear this weekend against West Virginia. We'll talk to John Kurtz about that coming up about 8-15. But here's Skylar and this is a courtesy of one, John Kurtz. I like him. I like him a lot. Um, I think it's it's, it's just unique um, and different. Um, and everybody in the locker room is, is a fan of it. You know, I think that's um, that's what's most important. You know, I, I, I've I've heard all the the, the comments on it, um, good and bad. It's fun to switch things up every once in a while. Um, Especially in, in today's world, with other you know other teams are, are doing it all the time, you know, and we switch up a helmet one time and it, people are flipping out kind of. But um, 
I understand it. I mean, the tradition here at K-State and everything with the power cat and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's I don't, I'm not against just having to switch up, you know, for one game. Um, I think it'll be... I think it's it's a good idea, you know, and especially with with recruiting and all that kind of stuff. And you know, it's, it's nothing it's nothing major. You know, it's just a, a a logo on the side of the helmet. You know, I don't really doesn't about the past and the record and all that kind of stuff. People were saying it was like, man, that was like 30 years ago. You know, so that has yeah, that has no justification on on today, and it won't be a distraction for us on Saturday. It's not a distraction. Recruits like this stuff. It sounds silly, but they like the uniforms. They look good, too, by the way. I don't know if you've seen them or not, Julio, but they look good as far as what they'll be wearing. Missouri, not good for the Missouri Tigers. They lose 27 to nothing at Georgia. Georgia, the uh, sixth-ranked team in the college football playoff. So it's going to be tough for Missouri that lost to Vanderbilt on the road, lost to Kentucky on the road. They lose to Georgia on the road. This week, they'll play the Florida Gators 11 a.m. You can hear that on our sister station, 98.1 KMBZ, or watch on TV on CBS, Taylor Powell got the start. Um, not a great start for Taylor Powell in this, the redshirt freshman. No TDs and a pick. Now, they didn't get true freshman Connor Bazelak in, who ended up throwing for 64 yards. Played well enough. There shouldn't be uh, – he played well enough. He should get some more time, although he's played in two games now. Remember, if you play in four games, you can. Anything beyond four games, you lose your redshirt. So, I'm sure they want to keep his redshirt going forward. Looks like Kelly Bryant will be a go this week according to uh, Barry Odom, but he was really impressed with one Connor Bosliak. Also, Jonathan Johnson, the wide receiver, considered day-to-day. He's got kind of a shoulder problem. Um, Didn't play against Georgia because of that strain. Uh, He's limited this week during practice. As far as the Kansas Jayhawks, they had a bye week last week, of course, uh, to uh, rest up after what Kansas State did to their Oklahoma State, 11 a.m. on Fox Sports 1. As far as the college football playoff rankings, they came out. Ohio State, LSU, or excuse me, LSU. Let's go LSU, Ohio State. That's what we have to do. We have to go with number one, which was uh, LSU in the college football playoff rankings. And I will say this, LSU one, Ohio State two, Clemson three, Georgia number four. And let's just face it here. LSU goes to Alabama and wins. That's their fourth top ten win. I do not see a scenario at all in which LSU is not in the college football playoffs. Say they go to the title game, which they should. They're at Old Miss. They got Arkansas that's bad at home. They got Texas A&M, who is six and three, but they got them at home. Very favorable schedule on the horizon here for uh, for the uh, LSU Tigers. And not only that, if they lose Alabama, keep in mind Alabama a couple years ago left out. Because they lost Auburn. They didn't go to the SEC title game, but found their way still in the playoffs. They ended up winning the whole thing. But it's going to be tough for them. Alabama fans need to become LSU fans. Ohio State uh, had Chase Young suspended last week. Uh, I had him really as a Heisman front runner, number two in the Heisman. The uh, outside linebacker with 13 and a half sacks this year for Ohio State or defensive end, Ohio State. Better than the Boses, to be honest with you. But he's suspended for this week. This week's game against Rutgers. Don't need him. He'll be back for Penn State. The following week, number three, Clemson. Again, Clemson's schedule very favorable. They have Wake Forest, seven and two Wake Forest this weekend. That should be somewhat of a mini challenge. Of course, they got the ACC title game as well. Georgia at number four, and again, somebody's going to fall. If Georgia, who does play at Auburn on the road, very tough game 
uh, for Georgia, one of the oldest rivalries in the SEC. But if they go through, they'll play LSU in the title game. If LSU wins that, look for them to get out. But Oregon sits there at number six, Utah at number seven. Both those one-loss teams, Oregon's only loss to the aforementioned Auburn Tigers. So we'll see what happens in that direction. Ohio State still has Rutgers, then Penn State in Michigan. Clemson, Wake Forest, then South Carolina. Georgia at Auburn, A&M, at, and at Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech's 2-7. and seven. Don't forget Auburn did beat Oregon. Uh, LSU um, shouldn't have a problem. Joe Burrow, by the way, was outstanding. I don't know if you saw that game between Alabama and LSU. It was simply fantastic. As a matter of fact, Alabama... I like looking at Matt Miller's mock drafts, and he's 100% right. They had seven Alabama players going in the first round. Imagine that. And Tua going one, but I think Joe Burrow might have something uh, to say about that. Here's uh, former coach Rick Neusheisel on Fox about Joe Burrow. When Alabama got this game to one score, they did it twice uh, in, in, this, in the fourth quarter. Burrow, in, in those two drives, which both ended in touchdowns, goes 9 of 12 for 106 and has two carries for another 30-some-odd yards. That, that guy, I'm, I've said it before, is Tom Brady. He is going to be a remarkable NFL player. He's called Joe Burrow Tom Brady. It's not get ahead of ourselves, Rick. It's not get ahead of ourselves, although I do think he's the Heisman front runner at this point. But there's so many good games this weekend. I don't know if you've got a chance to sit there and watch college football, but they were all good. How about Minnesota? It was 17th ranked in the college football playoff rankings. They moved up to 8th. Minnesota knocks off the Nittany Lions. There's the kneel down, and Minnesota has knocked off fifth ranked Penn State. They're going to get the victory bell. They're 9 0, undefeated, and ready for Iowa City next week. The students are rushing the field. Here they come, all wearing maroon. Minnesota 31, Penn State 26. Also, one of the great games Oklahoma and Iowa State. Iowa State comes back, makes it interesting, scores a touchdown with 13 seconds left to go. Then Iowa State goes for two. Keep in mind, they beat the Sooners and Norman two years ago. Baker Mayfield, the head co- they had the quarterback of that one, who's on Thursday Night Football now. Here's how the two-point conversion sounded. Iowa State went for the win. Give him credit for that. There's the snap to Brock. He looks left. He delivers. And it is intercepted in the end zone by Oklahoma. So Iowa State decides to do that. They don't want to go to overtime. They went to win it with their quarterback, Brock Purdy. Another great game is Baylor, who still remains undefeated after winning three overtimes against TCU. Duggan going for the end zone. The pass is intercepted by Graylin Arnold. The Bears win in triple overtime over TCU. Baylor wins it in triple overtime over the Frogs. 29-23, the final score. Baylor's still undefeated. Don't forget, three weeks ago, they beat Texas Tech in double overtime. So living dangerously, but they're still undefeated. They have college game day and the Oklahoma Sooners this weekend. See if that game shows up on the top three games of the week. Coming up next, we'll go to Manhattan, Kansas, talk to John Kurtz about the Kansas State Wildcats. What's this deal with the controversy over the logo? It's only one game. We'll find out from Kurtz next. Rush the field with Jay Binkley. The kick is up and the kick is good. Dicker, the 
kicker walks it off again for the Longhorns. They beat the Kansas State Wildcats at the gun. The final, Texas 27, Kansas State 24. There you go, the uh, Texas uh, Broadcast Network right there. Joining us now, John Kurtz, sports director, K-Man in Manhattan, also the host of the Faithful to Our Colors podcast on the Kansas State Wildcats right here on 610 Sports on the 435 Podcast Network. John, I had to play that one for you because I thought it was interesting where he called him Dicker the Kicker. <laughs> yeah, well, I can appreciate that, man. Craig Way, who is the uh, yeah. play-by-play voice of the Texas Longhorns, is, is one of the best around. But no kidding. I do admit, it's a little bit painful to hear. It's a little bit painful to hear that again. That, that was a good game uh, all the way around. It was fun to watch. Uh, can- well, it was fun for Kansas State in the first half. Second half, they were shut down to, what, 58 total yards in that game. Skyler Thompson, what, one yard shy of a career-high passing in the first half. Really, Kansas State, you know, held control this game until halftime. They did. I mean, I thought K-State did a tremendous job coming out of the gate. And if you would have told me going into the game, K-State would have jumped out in front, I would have thought that boded very, very well for their chances in the game just because Texas was a team that seemed like their season was teetering. And Texas is a team that has not always been able to keep it together in situations like that. So I think they deserve a lot of credit for the job that uh, that they did and Tom Herman and his team did, keeping it on the rails at that point. But just a great offensive game plan to start. Uh, they got Texas on that play where Malik Knowles came into the backfield and then got out open in space. And he's K-State's best playmaker in situations like that. Burton, Texas, for a huge touchdown. Credit to Courtney Messingham for, for scheming up that play. And then Skyler Thompson made a tremendous throw to Wykeen Gill to get the second touchdown. And you felt like K-State was rolling, but... Texas made adjustments, and I think really what happened is just Texas made it a point to really blitz K-State, get a lot of pressure in the face of Skylar Thompson, take away the running game, and take away the quarterback running game, more importantly. Um, it was interesting to hear Courtney Messingham talk today, K-State's offensive coordinator, about how exactly it was that that happened, that Texas was forcing Skylar Thompson on replays to, if he were to keep it, have to run between the tackles, and that's something that K-State didn't want to do. It's been such a big part of the K-State offense, and I think not having that really hurt. But I do agree with you. Two teams that it seemed fairly evenly matched with the game. K-State was a seven-point underdog, and there's, there's certainly no shame despite the fast start and losing that game. To I, t- I tell you what, Malik Knowles is one of those guys, too. And, uh, man, I mean, this guy just continues to impress. I think this guy's going to be a household name. Well, he already probably should be, but uh, I think a lot of people are going to know that name. Yeah, I love him. And I loved his potential last year. One thing with him is that last year he was beat up a little bit throughout the year, and that's been the case again this year. He did just finally dish the knee brace that he was wearing after he had an MCL issue from the Baylor game uh, about a month ago. And so K-State tried to have him on, on somewhat of a pitch count throughout these games. You'll see him more uh, in key situations late because K-State will try and buy some snaps from other receivers uh, throughout the game, which which they do to an extent anyway. But I think – K-State is still mindful of that with Malik Knowles. So that, that's going to be the thing with him. If he can get stronger, be able to stay healthier throughout the course of a season, there's no reason why he shouldn't be uh, one of the best receivers in the Big 12 because he is, he's got the big body, he's got the length, and certainly he's got the speed and the moves, as you saw on that touchdown that he had Saturday. Yeah, and I think they'd, uh, they'd taken advantage of that rule in redshirting last year is one of those, one of those perfect examples of that rule working out. It really is, and and he almost – he was close to playing more than that if he had not gotten hurt. I think it was 
basically Malik Knowles was good enough last year to force the hand of Bill Snyder, who does not play a lot of freshmen and was not a fan of that redshirt rule. Uh, Malik Knowles was good enough to put himself on the field last year despite all of that. I think that tells you about you know, what kind of ability that, that he really has. He, he's one of the typical K-State gems that was just overlooked uh, coming out of high school in Texas and was not recruited by uh, a lot of the big schools around there. And I think K-State got one that they're going to be happy with for years to come. What do you, John, what do you think the biggest difference was, The kind of the press coverage of the Longhorns in that game in the second half? What was the biggest, you think, adjustment they made? Because clearly, you look at the end of the game, what, six minutes, 45 seconds, they held the ball. They were just able to be a different team in the first half. Yeah, they were, and I think a lot of it, I mean, Chris Kleiman did say after the game, I mean, they, they just blitzed us. I'm trying to remember his adjective that he used, blitzed us unbelievably, I believe is what he said. Um, I think that was really the Texas game plan. They got healthier. They had uh, Caden Stearns back in the secondary, who's one of the best defensive backs in the Big 12. And, and K-State's receivers are somewhat limited in what they can do. And, and you could criticize, I suppose, Courtney Messingham, the offensive staff, for not just airing it out more than what they did because the passing game was really the only thing that was working. Um, but I, I think the bottom line is te- Texas is a pretty good team with some athletes. And when they are playing motivated football and rested football, which they were, um, they can really do some things. And, and I, K-State's coaches were quick to give a lot of credit to the, the coaching job that Texas did with the game plan that they had put in place with two weeks to prepare. I think that really did make a difference. The Texas was able to scheme some things up against K-State. That once K-State got out of their scripted plays, you know, it was the first probably 10 to 15 offensive plays K-State ran where they really had a bunch of success. Once it got out of the scripted plays, Texas really had the edge for the rest of the game when it came to K-State's offense versus the Texas defense. All right, what's going on with these helmets? I like them. They say cats on them. No power cat. And the field the same way. It's got the cats at midfield in there. Um, what, what's the deal? Some people like this. I, I did have you play your audio earlier uh, from your interview there with uh, Skyler Thompson uh, about the new helmets and recruiting. But uh, what's the deal? Old school K-State fans, they not like them? Oh, I think I can't tell you what a headache this has been this week. I don't understand uh, some of the vitriol against the, the helmets. Uh, basically, what you have here is that it is K-State's game where they're choosing to celebrate 150 years of college football. So, as such, they went with a throwback touch with the helmet. Um, it, it is script cats on the side of the helmet. K-State wore a similar look, but not exactly the same for one year. That was the 1988 season. That was the year before Bill Snyder got to K-State. And K-State understand Parrish went winless that season. And uh, they were bad. They were very, very bad. But, listen, it's it's 31 years later. Uh, Cats has become in vogue, really, to use when you're talking about K-State. That's what yeah. a lot of fans will call them, the Cats. Uh, Cats by 90, you'll see on Twitter a lot, uh, has been a rallying cry for the fans. So it has come in vogue here to, to be using that Cats, and that's why I think case they chose to go that route. They're limited on uniform options because to really retool the uniforms, Nike needs an extra year. Case they didn't have that time to get some of the alternate uniforms in, so they had to work with what they could, and this was one thing that they could do. The players love them. Uh, it's just a part of freshening up the look. This is not taking away the power cat, which is what some people – I think that's really the driving force between what people are mad about. Because what you'll get is you'll get people saying, well, the power cat is the symbol of good K-State football, and it's so recognizable. And if you take that away, 
you know, what are you doing? But, I mean, the point here I think is being missed. It's just a one-game thing to freshen it up, and it helps just improve. You know, when I say improve recruiting for K-State, it's just about being a player's program and doing some fun things for them, like swapping out the uniforms for a game and, and the video of the players that just came out earlier today in the locker room was all of them just loving this thing up. So I guarantee you when you see recruits coming in on visits moving forward, they'll be taking pictures in these cat's helmets because that's what's happened with the lavender jerseys <laughs> for basketball. It's just how it goes. So I am surprised it's turned into such a controversy, but you have fans that lived through the 1988 season and love the power cats that Feel a little bit threatened, I think, by these helmets. But uh, I promise you, the game will kick off. They, they will wear the helmets, and everybody will survive. And they're facing a three and six West Virginia team. This is uh, Kansas State's been on quite a roll. They lose to Texas, but uh, you know West Virginia is not the same team we've seen the last couple of years. They could be a little bit pesky, but they are three and six. Yeah, and they've, they've dealt with some injuries, and they're just very young. Uh, I think it's nine true freshmen have played this year for Neil Brown and. West Virginia, he was left in a tough situation uh, where there was a lot of firepower that graduated last year, and Dana Holgerson basically jumped ship and got out of there. And so I think Neil Brown really has a long-term rebuild in front of him in terms of uh, getting some of that stuff back together. But And this is the first time that West Virginia has lost five straight games since 2012. Uh, that was the Geno Smith year, if you recall, when Geno Smith and West Virginia started out red hot and then wound up losing five straight and came crashing back down to earth. So this is not something that program has been used to. And they are, I think, pretty down to the dumps right now. Last week was one of their worst performances of the season, really being at home to a Texas Tech team that had lost to Kansas and really just got controlled in a 38-17 to loss. So every reason in the world to believe that K-State should be able to win this game. Uh, and in fact, talking to some around the West Virginia program earlier today, just not not a very optimistic attitude, even when I asked, just, hey, what, what is the recipe here? What's the formula for West Virginia to win? Uh, the responses I got were basically, hey, if K-State shows up with food poisoning, then, uh, then maybe West Virginia will win the game. So it doesn't sound like morale is very high in Morgantown right now, and everybody understands it's a pretty long-term build that's going on there. Great stuff. John Kurtz uh, at JL Kurtz on Twitter, sports director, K-Man in Manhattan, talking about uh, Kansas State. Check out his podcast faithful to our colors. Always good talking to you, John. Uh, have fun this weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. Always enjoy it, Thanks. Thanks again. There you go, John Kurtz right there. Coming up next, though, we'll talk, about to, we'll talk to Gary Pinkle. I'm sure we'll talk a lot of college uh, football nationally. And, of course, what's Gary think about the NCAA? That's always fun. Gary Pinkle next. Rush the Field with Jay Binkley. Welcome back to Rush the Field. Time to talk Missouri Tigers with the one, the only, the all-time wins leader at the University of Missouri and the University of Toledo, Coach Gary Pinkle. Coach, uh, good evening. Good evening. How you doing? Which I happen to notice, uh, by the way, your Twitter handle, at GPMade underscore, is your, your foundation. Uh, you were in Kansas City the other day, and I thought this was really cool. Uh, you were up here meeting Dan Clemens, the uh, superintendent of the North Kansas City School District. I got a lot of respect for this guy because he's taken the four teams in the district and they used to share stadiums down in Northtown, which is a great old stadium, and it's Staley. But at Oak Park and Winnetonka, you know, they're playing home games there now because he wants to, to, to make football an emphasis. And he's wanting to put lights in and he's already got the turf out there. And he started a middle school football uh, in the area, which is, which is something unique around the Kansas City area. But uh, look on Twitter and there you are with Dan Clemens. 
Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Uh, how we got disconnected is Mike Alden knows uh, Brandon Martin, the uh, AD at uh, UMKC. A really, really classy guy. I got a chance to meet him, and we wanted to start a scholarship program uh, in Kansas City and St. Louis. And um, and so what we did was um, we met with Dan and had a meeting, and Brandon and myself, and uh, and we we had meetings. And uh, so we're trying to uh, build a scholarship program up. You know, hopefully. You know, we're going to get to the point when someday we'll have huge numbers that we're, we're doing it, but we're starting the infant stages. But I, uh, you know, it's about helping kids, and, and certainly education is, is critically important. And also trade school. It doesn't have to be a university. Trade schools are, are great opportunities also. So we're going to try to get a scholarship, uh, one or two in each one of those schools this year. Uh, it's coming uh, May, and then hopefully in the future we, uh, we magnify that big numbers. Hopefully someday we're giving 10 or 15 scholarships out to each school. But it's outstanding that those schools – uh, Coach Mizzou, uh, you know, loses at Georgia this past week, a game where Kelly Bryant, you know, wasn't able to play, and the situation where Missouri ended up using two quarterbacks in, in that game. And this week, Barry Odom thinks Kelly Bryant might be able to go, and if he doesn't, it's going with Taylor Powell, and it's going with the uh, the true freshman, Connor Basilak, who actually came in and played pretty decent at the end of that Georgia game. Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, you know, we played a really good team. Georgia's one of the top ten teams in the nation, and we'll see how it plays out the next couple of weeks. But uh, how all that plays out. But um, you know, I thought we our defense played well. Offensively, we struggled a little bit. And you know, anytime you have young quarterbacks in there, you you you're really restricted. And I know our fans don't want to hear that, but it's it's the same way in the NFL. You know, it's 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 difficult, a little bit more difficult. So. Um, you know, big game this week. We get bigger. We beat Florida last week down last year down there. Um, you know, hopefully we can we can uh, get up on them and, uh, and you know and, and, and kind of get a win here. So it's a uh, it's uh, it's been pretty tough. Coach, where does that bowl band situation sit with Missouri? Have they held back at all? Have they talked to them? I mean, their one went away. You know, from from becoming bowl eligible and a couple games left in this season. And you would think with all these guys have gone through and producing, man, it'd be nice to, you know, give these kids some kind of reward at the end of the season. I don't know what the NCAA is going to do. I don't think anybody ever knows what they're going to do. You heard anything at all? No, I just the inconsistency. You know, they use a, they use a term called lack of institutional control. And the NCAA goes into any university and, and does an evaluation and does an investigation. And often they label this is lack of institutional control. This is lack. And what you do is you have six or seven of those in, in, in a situation like this, or eight or nine maybe, and say the institution should have, these things were happening, and the institution should have known they were happening. And I asked, I found out, I tried to find out how many lack of institutional control, and there was zero. There were absolutely none. So this is this, is this, this rogue lady that's out there that's doing these crazy things, no undercover where they weren't trying to get things to her or get you know get players to her. They they knew nothing about it. Nobody did. There was no lack of institutional control uh, themes on this. And uh, so I had an attorney friend. This is this is this is like uh, going in a, in a courtroom and and the jury says um, you're you're innocent, and the judge saying, well, we're still going to put you in jail for two years. <laughs> and that's 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 what that's what I'm really upset about. You know, this, there was no nothing done wrong by the university itself. This was this was secretly done with a few players and a rogue person, and uh, I just think it is absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to be fair, you know, fair is fair, but um, this is um, this. I, 
I, I don't. I just don't have any trust in, in, in inconsistencies over the years, and how they handle problems is uh, is, is uh, huge. No, no question about it. Other schools uh, facing this as well. It'd just be nice to give those kids some kind of reward at the end of the year. Uh, Coach, the college football playoff rankings uh, came out once again. LSU. Big win against Alabama. That game was a lot of fun to watch, no question about it. Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. Alabama on the outside looking in. Looks like they got these top four right, but, man, there's going to be some one-loss teams, especially in the Pac-12 with Oregon or Utah, whichever one comes out with one loss. Either one of them could do it, depending on what happens in the Pac-12 championship game. And then you have Minnesota. I don't think Minnesota's getting, getting much respect, but they moved themselves up to eighth after that win over Penn State. But this could be a situation this year, Coach, when there's some one-loss teams on the outside looking in that could, probably could uh, do some damage in the playoff. Well, the committee's going to probably have to intervene on this very possibly. There's some big, big games coming up, too. So, uh, you know, the, the, the is Alabama's fourth-best team is probably not there a little bit better than that. And if people don't want to hear that, that's my opinion. They played absolutely awful the first half, and they had a chance to win the game at the end. So, um, you know, they're one of the best teams in the country. But, you know, it's all going to play out, and that's why they're going to have a committee. And the committee, I think, has done a really good job the last few years in, in, in coming to a conclusion uh, for the four that they've chosen. So um, it's exciting. You know, that's what makes college football so, so exciting. Lots of big games coming up every Saturday now from now on. And certainly it's been going on for quite a while, but uh, significant things happen. And uh, this Saturday uh, they'll continue. Well, yeah, a couple years ago, Alabama loses to Auburn. They don't make the SEC title game. Still end up making the playoffs. And then what happened, Coach? They get in there and they win the whole thing. Yeah, they did. So, and that's you know, if, if you got several, you know, if you got a bunch of one-loss teams in there, I think the most difficult thing is a team like Baylor or somebody like that that's or Wisconsin that has zero uh, losses, and um, you know, or Minnesota, excuse me. Um, uh, I don't. I don't think uh, that's going to be real difficult. Then, 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 but the the the, the, the committee going to have to they're going to, have to make a decision on what kind of one loss team should get in before a team that's in the power five that hasn't lost the game. That'll be interesting if it comes to that. When you think about these coaches, was there ever was ever coaches you leaned on, or was there ever coaches that called you, maybe assistants you had to get advice? Is this kind of a common thing in college football to to get advice from your mentors? And I know Don James meant so much to you. Yeah, I think a little bit. I mean, I, you know, Don James has a huge influence on me. There's no question about it. You know, to a program to give Nick would tell you the same thing. You know, um, Frank Lauderburg was a, a coach that was at Iowa at one time. It was, it was undefeated teams and at, at Toledo. I got to know him. I'd call him here and there. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think you do it a little bit. And that is a pride thing, too. You don't want to make phone calls. You didn't train well enough. So, you know, Coach James gave me some words of wisdom, you know, but, you know, working for him all the years and, and taking notes on how he handled things, I just go back to my notes and say, well, I remember back in 1986 we had this problem here, da 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 and went back, checked my notes, and this is what we did. And it kind of allows you to ho- hopefully make some good decisions. But I think all coaches uh, have mentors they're proud of, and, and you know, and, 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 and you learned an awful lot from, and, and hopefully a lot of the coaches that played for me would, would say that, you know, that a lot of things we did were really well, and, and if you take those things, you have a chance to be successful. So, so you kept the notebook, and you would actually go back to it. Did you like label it so you could easily find it? Yeah, well, there are notebooks for all the years when I was coaching. When I'm coaching, 
So I would take notes out of them and put them in files, and I had them. And uh, and I I just really you know as it was going on, I was getting closer to becoming head coach. I would really would you know as Coach James was making decisions, I would just make notes of them because you know a lot of them are very difficult decisions. But there was there was rationale and reasoning behind everything you did. And so um, taking those notes and learning those experiences, and a lot of them, you know, up to the most of them, you remember them. Uh, but certainly, uh, you know, that helped and, and apply to, uh, to to what I did. I remember I got head coaching job at Toledo, first head coaching job, and I'm back in Seattle, and I'm going to go say goodbye to Coach and then jump on a jet for the press conference back at Toledo and um, private jet. And so I go into, I go into the, the offices of Kent, or excuse me, Washington, I said, you know, I see Coach James, give him a hug, thank you, thank you. I played for him, you know, and, and uh, you know, so I, I, I was there 12 years, last seven years coordinator. And um, and so I, I looked at him, we talked, and I walked out the door, and uh, I looked back, and I have no idea why I asked him this. I said, Coach, any words of wisdom? And he said, yeah, and he, said, his, 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 he threw his, his reading glasses off. He says, yeah. He says, I do. He said, Gary, when things get tough, and he looked at me, scold, those cold eyes, Don James' eyes, he said, it's going to get really, really tough. You focus waking up in the morning, every hour doing your job, again, the next hour, the next hour, the next hour, and you don't let anything in. And he said, if you can't do that, it's going to chew you up. And i got to be honest with you. I said, thanks, Coach. I started walking. I'm, I'm 37 years old. I'm going to head coach. I'm thinking, oh, that's, that's pretty good. It ain't bad. <laughs> but guess what? Is the best advice I ever got. It's the best I ever ever got because once you get in this business, they you know it fires at you on all sides. Even it's magnified even more now with these phones that we're holding and all the things that happen and social networking. But that that that's that's a wisdom for anybody out there in any business. You know, you 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 focus on what you need to do to get done because you just start letting all that other stuff in, and you can't you 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 can't stay focused. And then I, I probably I'd say. Thirty percent of the head coaches that I see get fired are generally ones that just kind of—they don't break down, but they just—they just really you would never know that, but they would never say it to you. But it, they just—it just the—it it really breaks them down, and, and, and you're not in a position to make good decisions. Um, so anyway, there's an example of words of wisdom that I'll never, uh, or I'll always, always remember, and I pass it on as I do talks on leadership. Um, and uh, and so those are the kind of things that, that that you think about and you remember. And you start going through some some events. Thanks a lot, Coach. I appreciate you uh, sharing that information with us. I never forget uh, my high school coach, who's um, in the Missouri Hall of Fame. There, a good coach, and he once told us, uh, "Great day to be a jo- alive, gentlemen." He would say it every day. It'd be 110 degrees, two a days, whatever. He said that, and we hated it. We didn't want to listen to it because it wasn't a great day to be alive because we're hot. And then you know, from then on, when I grew up into uh, an older man, I, w- I would put that above my garage. Great day to be alive. It was kind of like it was kind of like just you know titting it before you go get in your car, but I, you always appreciate some of that advice you get along the way. So understand completely. Well, yeah, and that, that's a great advice. And it's what he's just saying it's just a different way of saying you wake up every day and thank God you're you're alive and you know, look at the positives and go attack. You know that's that's it's just that's, that's brilliant. Uh, those are great things to do, and you know your attitude can almost uh, uh, will, will determine direction how everything goes. That's what coaching could do, Coach. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on with us tonight. We'll talk to you again next week. Okay, awesome. Let's Thank- go to Mizzou and let's go Chiefs. Thanks, Chiefs Coach. Have a bye this week.
Uh, no, uh, Chargers in Mexico City. Okay, that's right. That's right, Mexico City. That's right. I knew it was something different here. But anyway, good luck to to, uh, to them and, and certainly the uh, Missouri Tigers. Thank you. Bye. All right, Coach, take care. There you go, Gary Pinkle right there. Coming up next, we'll switch gears, talk about the University of Kansas, a bye week. Now they go face Oklahoma State and the leading rusher in the nation, Chuba Hubbard. Josh Klingler next. Rush the field with Jay Binkley. Well, we just talked Mizzou with Gary Pinkle and his not-so-much love of the NCAA. Now it's time to turn our attention to the Kansas Jayhawks coming off a bye last week. Oklahoma State and leading rusher Chuba Hubbard this weekend awaits the Kansas State, the Kansas uh, Jayhawks. Joining us now, co-host Fesco in the morning, his name, Josh Klingler. What's up, Josh? Yeah, Chuba Hubbard, he's scary, isn't he? I mean, that, that guy's the complete package and leading the nation in rushing. Oh. Um, he's a handful. It's ridiculous, too. I mean, the redshirt sophomore, you know, 1,600 yards. The closest to him, A.J. Dillon at Boston College, it's about 1,451. But Chuba Hubbard has been unbelievable for Oklahoma State. He finds themselves uh, ranked 22nd in the college football playoffs. But not only that, but their, their quarter, and Chuba's coming off a huge game. They had a bye week, too, like Kansas, 223 against TCU. But their quarterback is interesting as well, Spencer Sanders. Uh, redshirt freshman, kind of a dual-threat quarterback. He's got 15 touchdowns, but 11 picks. But he's also dangerous on the ground, nearly averaging five yards a carry. Well, and that's a big problem because Kansas has had a hard time spying quarterbacks, and, and, and the running quarterbacks certainly have been a, a problem, um, with uh, especially Skylar Thompson, obviously, in the most recent game against K-State. But really, all season long, they've had a hard time with the linebackers trying to put a spy on the quarterback. So it'll be interesting to see how they – Try to attack uh, Sanders, as you had mentioned. Um, all of or half of his passing yards and more than half of his touchdowns, though, had gone to Tylon Wallace, who was off to a fantastic start at wide receiver. He's been lost for the season, so uh, they're actually trying to slow uh, the pace down um, more so than, than Oklahoma State ever has. So they're running a lot fewer plays, trying to get longer drives, trying to also allow this redshirt freshman quarterback to settle in. So. It's a little different Oklahoma State, but they can still put up points, obviously, offensively, and they're going to be a, a big handful for the uh, the Kansas defense to try to stop the, the dual threat of the quarterback and, obviously, Hubbard, who, surprisingly enough, I don't, I don't know, is getting enough Heisman talk, and I'm, I'm guessing he will not be able to really thrust himself into that mix until they play Oklahoma in the Bedlam game at the end of the season. He may be a late, he may be a late riser in the Heisman talk. He's just not getting enough kind of national exposure, but he's, He's really good. Yeah, and getting 2,000 yards probably won't be a problem for Chuba Hubbard. The two bye weeks they've had already. But when you when you think about uh, that team, you're always thinking of Oklahoma State. You're thinking about the passing. And you're, you're sitting here watching Thursday night football. you got Mason Rudolph, Oklahoma State, one of the wide receivers, James Washington, Oklahoma State. But I'm with you. And with the loss of Lawson, you're looking at a team that's probably going to run the football. So Kansas got to be used to stopping the run because I feel that this is what Oklahoma State will do, limit possessions and keep running the football, not only with Sanders, but running a lot with Chuba Hubbard. Yeah, I mean, and we've had a lot of focus, obviously, the last few weeks on the offense, and, and Brett Deerman, the new offensive coordinator, and all the strides that they have made. But, you know, the defense has got to pick up uh, their share now, and uh, this will be certainly a tough test. To the offensive side, meanwhile, uh, Kansas has got to find a way to get off to faster starts, and that was a priority that they'd worked on during the, the bye week. They have had just one touchdown in the first quarter, of all their Big 12 games, six Big 12 games, they've had one touchdown, two field goals in the first quarter, 13 total points in six games in the opening quarter. You get off the slow starts in this league, Nick, and you're, you're playing track meet 
of football with people. So if they uh, they bury themselves early, it's going to be tough. They need to get going out of the shoot. Yeah, no question about it. Kansas comes in giving up 253 yards a game on the ground last in the Big 12. Do you think the attitudes changed a little bit? Because clearly they were feeling good about themselves. Brent Deerman's offense. People were liking Carter Stanley, the what he's been able to do with Brent Deerman. And then came the Kansas State game. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, they, they spoke a good game this week. And, and obviously from an offensive perspective, I think it's good. Because I think you're going to see a few wrinkles. I think you're going to see a little more. Brent Deerman hasn't had a full season, obviously. He took over during the last bye week. That they had earlier in the season, and, and has really only had a few games under their belt. It was kind of a crash course with the offense. So from that side of the football, um, I know that they spent the, the two weeks incorporating more things, also working on what they felt like had been successful, kind of put themselves under the microscope. So so we'll see if there's some some new offensive wrinkles coming out, or uh, you know some trick plays, that type of thing that they've been able to work on over the last couple of weeks. But again, it's, it's huge. They got to get off to a faster start. It can't be playing from behind. Yeah, and they won't see Tylen Wallace, as you mentioned, tore that ACL. Uh, i got to ask you this, though. Eskimo Joes? <laughs> uh, I've never been there. I've, I've never been in Stillwater long enough to do it. So, um, And and with football, they always stay way too far away. So I've never been able to, <laughs> never been able to have that. Like, oh, the other storyline, uh, can't forget Les Miles going back to Oklahoma State. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, and they didn't like when he left. Uh, Oklahoma State felt burned when he left, and, you know, they felt like that it was a slap in the face that he took the job at LSU at that point in time. We'll see if feelings have decided uh, because I think there's a, they're looking back and, and you can see that he helped kind of kick off Oklahoma State uh, as they are right now. So I think it'll be a warm reception for him, but he hasn't been back there except for, uh, he said, one time he took his, his boys to a football camp there at Oklahoma State. So him heading back to Stillwater will be a big story on Saturday as well. And he might have been the first one to beat Bob Stoops and Norman when he was at Oklahoma State. I yeah, remember they – yeah. Kind of credited too with giving Oklahoma State like the during Oklahoma for the first time that they kind of could pop out their chest and say, "Hey, well, this is a rivalry. We're supposed to be in this thing." And he's kind of credited with pushing Oklahoma State in terms of, I guess, guts that you can go uh, go toe to toe with Oklahoma back in his day. Great stuff, Josh Klingler. Hear him tomorrow, five fifty-eight in the morning, Fisco in the morning. Stay talk a little Chiefs versus Chargers. Thanks a lot, Kling. Thanks, Bing. There you go, Josh Klingler, right there. Now it's time for the top three games of the weekend. Although I might have four this weekend. As I mentioned, you couldn't beat last weekend. Every game was coming down to the wire. Iowa State going for that two-point conversion to beat the Sooners. Well, here's a good slate for you. Number four, Georgia. These are playoff ranking uh, as far as that. At number 12, Auburn. 230 on CBS. Looking forward to this one. Can Auburn play spoiler? They also have to play Alabama later in the year. Wake Forest coming off a disappointing loss. To Virginia Tech, bad loss from them, 36-17. to Also again, a loss against Louisville this year, but they are 7-2. This is Clemson's uh, basically last challenge. They're at number three, Clemson, 2-30 on ABC. Then at 3 o'clock on Fox, number eight, Minnesota. It's getting no respect. Matter of fact, they were behind two loss Kansas State last week as number 17 in the college football playoff rankings. They move up to number eight. They're at number 20, Iowa. Close loss. To Wisconsin, 3 o'clock on Fox. And then the nightcapper. Looking forward to this one. College game day is going to be in Baylor. Number 10, Oklahoma against number 13, Baylor. 6.30 on ABC. Baylor, that three-overtime win last week. Three weeks ago, a two-overtime win against Texas Tech. Well, we're going to start unveiling the Heisman Trophy watch because we're close enough now. We can start talking about it. Number one, at this point, it's Joe Burrow. you got to be kidding me. Second nation passing yards with 3,198. 
33 touchdowns, just one behind Anthony Gordon's 34 at Washington State. 393 and three touchdowns against Bama. 64 yards rushing. This week they have Ole Miss. Yeah, Alabama's got seven first-rounders. Nice game by Joe Burrow on the road. Don't forget Johnny Manziel won the Heisman that year because he won in Tuscaloosa against Alabama. Number two, I got Justin Fields. He's the quarterback at Ohio State. Ohio State, to me, just as impressive as LSU. I know LSU's got the four top ten wins, but Ohio State is waxing everybody by at least 40 points a game. This season, 18-59 passing, 27 touchdowns, one pick, 347 yards rushing, 10 TDs, averaging 4.3 per. Third is Tua because he didn't win that game. However, great game against Alabama. Just couldn't get the job done. Brought Alabama back. Couldn't win it. And also, number four, Jalen Hurts. 2,742 yards passing, 24 touchdowns, four INTs, 869 yards rushing, 15 TDs. Jalen Hurts against Iowa State this past weekend, 273 yards passing, three touchdowns. Also ran for 68. They have Baker, or they have Baylor. Don't forget, Baker Mayfield lost Iowa State in his Heisman campaign. Don't forget, Kyler Murray lost to Texas in his Heisman campaign. Can he make a difference by taking that L to Kansas State? Good loss on the road at Kansas State. Everybody loses. Well, not everybody loses, but most times they lose. Could he still find him his way to New York? I think he does. My top pick is Chase Young, but he got suspended last week, suspended this week. I'd like to put him in there. Want to see a defensive player get him 13 and a half sacks. Thank you to Josh Klingler for joining us, talking Kansas. John Kurtz, talking Kansas State. And, of course, Gary Pinkle, talking the University of Missouri. This has been Rush the Field, the all-college football show. Hope you enjoyed it. A huge thanks to Julio Sanchez producing this operation. I'm Jay Binkley. I'll see you tomorrow night, 6 o'clock. Rush the Field with Jay Binkley.